The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. So this morning we will be taking on the 23rd Psalm. And I call it a psalm for Christian living. I, I've, now, I've never, I shouldn't say never, in, in many, I've done several funerals where I've had to officiate that them. And as I've done it, early on in ministry, I would use the 23rd Psalm like many others, but something struck me about it. That, I, that the 23rd Psalm has very little to do about the afterlife, but it has to do with the present. And so one of the things that I've always hung on to, even before coming more to a Reformed understanding or covenantal understanding of Scripture and God's Word, I've always said this is a psalm for Christian living. And uh, in fact, at one, at one funeral that I, I was officiating at, I used it in the positive sense rather than the negative sense as, as, as a message not because of the one who had passed on, but for those who were living. And it, was, it, it, was, it stuck out, and it probably shocked some people. But it's an, honest, it's an honest look at it. So today we're asking a question, a very simple question, of who is your shepherd? And that's really what this comes down to. We, I've never preached this message. I've preached on this passage in different ways. But one of the things I didn't want to do is rehash something I had done before. But I want to come back and ask this question. Who is your shepherd? So let's read the psalm together as it will be on the screen. Listen to it. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the point of that passage is something The point of this passage is not just a simple, the Lord's my shepherd, and when I get to this valley, He's going to do something, and that's great, then I go heavenward. It's more. There's a lot of doctrine here, by the way, but I'm I'm hoping to get through this quickly this morning. But the word that we need to look at this morning, point number one, for the Lord to be our shepherd is a definitive call. It's a definitive call. While you're writing that down, what does the first verse say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall... The Lord is my shepherd. These are not simple words or simple phrase, but there is a great meaning behind it. It doesn't say, the God or deity of the Israelites has been assigned to give watch care over me. It's not a God or a deity or has been given the assignment to, to look after me. That's not what that means. The Lord is my shepherd 
is a definitive word, or is filled as the definitive words with a definitive call. We are told a we are told that God is our Lord. Now I I could go and talk to you about how, and I I want to read these scriptures, but He's not just that He is our Lord, but He's the Lord. There are and what we find in Isaiah forty five. Five through six. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. We are told that God is our Lord in Exodus twenty verses two through six. We hear Him giving in the in the uh, Ten Commandments as it comes forward. He says, "I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the water below." You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to uh, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He's the Lord God, and he will not have he will have no rivals, for there are none. Everything apart from him is but an idol formed of man. Romans 10 verses 8 to 13 tells us something about this lordship. He says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will be not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This God is Lord. And as Lord, He rules and reigns over us, and there is no other. For God to be our Lord, Jesus is not just our scapegoat for our sin or our atoning sacrifice, but He is Lord over all aspects of our life. B, we are told that God is also in that very first verse, that God is our shepherd. For the Lord is our shepherd. That word in Old Testament Greek, I'm sorry, Greek, why did I say it? I knew I was trying not to say it. I've been making sure I didn't say the Hebrew. Sorry. Is raha. It's a primitive root. means to tend a flock. That is to pasture it. Now, pasture a flock means to bring them to pasture. Trans, uh, intransitively, to graze, literally or figuratively, generally to rule, by extension to associate with, as a friend. Uh, ex, uh, it says companion, to keep company with them. Now, it's interesting that a shepherd is someone who lives with his flock. But more than that, we find in Scripture in the New Testament, Jesus says something even greater than that, even further than that in John 10. We're going to read verses, almost a big chunk of this. Jesus said again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and, and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to what? To steal and kill and destroy. I came. 
that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down life, my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the Jews and he's meaning the Gentiles are coming in. There will be not two people of God. There will not be this one special over in this country and then all the other people. Not two ways of salvation. There is one flock and one shepherd he will bring in under Christ. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. When we go, Then it goes on in verse 22. At that time the, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colony of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said... How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. And he's talking to who? The Jewish people. That didn't mean that all Jews were saved. He's telling you, you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. For us to be saved from our sin is not a decision we make, but a calling and choosing of God we receive. For Him to be our shepherd, we must be His sheep. For us to be His sheep, we must be able to hear His voice, recognize His voice, and follow Him. This is all dependent on the, on the Lord and not us. And this is an important doctrinal statement. The reason why people don't hear His voice is not because their ears don't work. Unless the Lord allows... They will not. Why? Because we all start in the same place in Romans 3, verses 9 through 12. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. We start at this place where all of us are unrighteous. So it's not like it's not like everybody starts at a different place in a sense of of that, but we are unrighteous, and what God does is something that is up to Him. We believe in the sovereignty of God over all things as a church, and that's part of our doctrinal statement, and that includes under salvation. If we can choose to be saved, we can choose not to be saved. If If we can choose our salvation, we can also choose to lose our salvation, and that's a problem. That means salvation will be dependent upon man and not the work of Christ. Salvation has to be dependent completely on the work of Christ and the work of the, and God throughout all times. We find in Romans 8, verses 29 through 30, For those whom He foreknew, 
This is not God knew that they would choose. It said, For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Apart from His calling, we can't call Him Lord. So that's the thing is, to say, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, is not a statement of, you know what, I think Jesus is Lord. It's an action that follows it. And unless one is saved, apart from the saving grace of God, we can't follow that action of His Lordship. Apart from His calling, we can't call Him Lord. And if He's not our Lord, then He cannot be our shepherd because we will not hear or follow His voice. And that is a clear thing. We, a person who is at enmity with God cannot be a Christian. A person who goes directly against the very commands of Christ cannot be a Christian. And I'm not saying we don't, the person that sins, we all sin, but I'm saying a person who is against the very commands of God and willingly goes against time and time again, their character is that, it's not that there's someone who has lied, but someone is a liar. A liar is someone who lies and lies, and that's their character. That ought not be the character of a Christian. A Christian ought not be a thief. We've all probably, we've all, I can probably say this, all of us have taken something that didn't belong to us without permission. Whether we intentionally stole or not, it might have been smaller. But we, if we are, have a lifestyle of stealing and taking and taking and taking, where are we? We're a thief. That's our character. Thieves, murderers, and all the like will not inherit the kingdom of heaven is what we're told in Scripture. Matthew 7, verses 15-23 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I'm sure you'll never find anybody that fits this description. Not ever in a pulpit, right? You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, will we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, it's not about someone saying, Jesus is the Lord of my life. All you have to do is ask Him to come into your heart and He'll be the Lord of your and let Him be the Lord of your life. No, we're not asking for a partnership here. When a lordship means a complete, a complete submission. It goes on to our second point this morning. And the rest will be a lot faster than the first point. But for the Lord to be our shepherd is also not just a not is a place of conviction and dependence rather than idolatry. It's not only a calling, but it's also a place of conviction and dependence rather than idolatry. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this does not mean, children, if you're listening that I don't want the Lord as my shepherd. It's not talking about He's the Lord and shepherd that I don't want. He's not saying that. I shall not want. If we have no want, we have no other need. Whatever we need, the Lord has provided and is providing and will provide. 
to say that the Lord is my shepherd, I have no other wants and needs, means we find contentment. We find that He is satisfying. Okay? Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Matthew 6 says, "Don't Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They never, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yeah, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious. Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? And most translations says, for the pagans, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So you understand, the Lord is my shepherd. If He's my Lord, He's my Lord and He's my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not have need. That means I don't worry about this life, about what my provisions are. God will provide somehow, some way. We don't always see it. But because of that, we find contentment. Therefore, A, we must remain obedient his commands even when they go contrary to our heart's desire because he knows what we need that's a long phrase i know we must remain obedient to his very commands even when they go contrary to our heart's desires because he knows what we need when i hear people say you just need to follow your heart i cringe you know that gut feeling you know what to do The problem with gut feelings is you don't know, and I'm not being silly, you don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or it's indigestion. You don't know if it's fear. You don't know if it's apathy. You don't know if it's just, you don't know what what leads it. He says, He makes me, understand that, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for name's sake. It's been said that just because a pasture is green doesn't mean that it's good for the sheep. And it can be disastrous for them because it could be full of poisonous weeds that could kill the sheep. In fact, one of the things we learned as I was researching about things that make even cows sick when they have wet grass, wet grass can actually cause bacteria to grow, make them very ill, and can kill them. But we're talking about sheep here. And so, and whether that's true or not, well, just think about this. It's a green pasture. It's a lush pasture. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't say, eat to your heart's content. He says, lie down. And by the way, because sheep are a ruminant animal, 
They can't lie down and eat. They have to be able to digest, so they need to be on their feet to eat. So when they want to eat what looks right, what looks good, the Lord says, lie down. And then He leads them not only into green pastures, He makes them lie down in green pastures, He leads them beside the quiet, still waters. And one of the things we know about quiet, still waters is they're not shallow, fast-rushing waters. They're deep waters. And although it might be easy to drink out of them and the water looks great, Sheep can't swim, and they most likely would drown. Yet, all the things we could do research about animals and sheep and all that kind of stuff, it's still not the direction we seem to receive here. It's not about the dangers that we're looking at. Sometimes the Lord commands us to yield to Him, even when what surrounds us is desirable or possibly disastrous. He calls us to yield to Him no matter what. You know, just because something looks good to our eyes... Does it make it right? Think of Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Notice it was desirable fruit. But what did God said about this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, you shall not eat from it. We must remain obedient to the commands of the Lord when they go, even when they go contrary to our heart's desire. Just because it looks desirable, just because it looks good in our knowledge, God has a purpose behind that. And that's why I said there's something more here. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Our hearts are... Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are deceptive. And sometimes we will ourselves in towards something that is sinful because it, we think it looks righteous. We think it looks good. And I've reminded people, not every door that opens before us is a door that God has created for us to walk through. Some things look good on the other side that He never intended for us. And sometimes he says, and I, that's why I said very seldom is the path to the, to the things of God is an easy path. But the heart is deceitful. Our, our heart will talk us into all kinds of things. And we need to be careful because just because something looks desirable, just because something looks good to eat or good for us, it does not mean that it is in God's plan. 1 John 5, 1-5 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments aren't burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. See, the paths of the Lord leads us, leads us to are always righteous. Do you see that in that passage of Scripture, in our theme passage? He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in what? Paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The paths the Lord leads us to are always righteous and they always bring Him glory. Sometimes the paths are hard, trying and treacherous, but regardless, they are His paths. And the Scripture tells us that they are righteous paths. Romans 5 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so sometimes the hardest paths, when we see the easy way and the green, what looks good to ours, what looks desirable, it's not the path that God has for us. And sometimes He says, stop, you need to lie down and you need to wait. When we're thirsty and we want to drink of every little thing that comes across our path, He says, no. And we ask why, we wonder why, and I think this passage, we'll get to it in just a moment. It'll tell us why. It's all about perspective. Thirdly, for the Lord to be our shepherd, we walk in confidence wherever we go. There is a calling. There is a conviction of obedience. And there's also confidence as we walk in the Lord. We walk in confidence. The theme passage says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. From a perspective of war, the worst place to be caught by our enemies is in the valley. I kind of alluded to this last week. The reason why was to see that our enemies always have an advantage. And naturally so, because they're on a, they're on, they seem to be on the, the mountainsides. And they're, what are they doing? They're looking down on us. There's no place for us to hide. And that's where God leads us. And those are called righteous paths. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But see, the thing is, is it would seem that our enemies have the advantage, and naturally so, but we have something, really. We have someone like no other. We have the Lord as our shepherd, and He is leading us in this path for His name's sake. We have confidence. Why? We have confidence because what? God is with us. Hey, we have confidence because God is with us. He tells us, you are with me. I don't fear evil because you are with me. Hebrews 13, 5-6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we have confidence because God is with us. Was a, And now we get to hear, We don't fear because God is with us. He does not leave us nor forsake us. What is Jesus' name? He's given the name Emmanuel. God with us. What does Jesus say in the Great, in the great Commission? He says what? And lo, I am with you till the what? The very end of the age. He tells you, I must leave, but I will send one, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to guide you into all truth. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You're not going alone. We have confidence as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death because He's with us. But we also have confidence, B, because the Lord not only directs us, but He disciplines us and He defends us. So think about this. What I just told you that that God is with us, therefore He directs our path, right? He's leading us. But He also disciplines us and He defends us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I remember my children, I, I, I whip off my belt real fast, or I pull off the spanking stick, and they all know exactly what it's for. doesn't mean it has to be used, but they know what it's for. But think about this. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. 
Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11 says, Consider him who endured from sinners in such hostility against himself, so you may not grow wearied or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not resisted the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, listen carefully, later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord disciplines us through the small trials of life so that when we go through these dangerous valleys, instead of fleeing in every direction, like like when a wolf comes and, and the hired hand is there, instead of going all these different directions and being devoured, we have been trained to walk confidently behind our shepherd. He disciplines us along the way to show that not only is He our Lord, He is our shepherd, but that we can trust Him, that He he disciplines us when we get out of line, when we walk outside the context He has commanded us. For the tools He has used to direct us and to discipline us are the same tools He will use to defend us and destroy our enemies. Notice that he never said that you have to bring your tools ready for battle. What does it say? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For your rod and staff, they comfort me. Because they have been directed and they have been disciplined to the place that they know whom will defend them. Lastly, for the Lord to be our shepherd, we have cause for celebration. We have a cause for celebration. He says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's be reminded of two sides of the coin. Sometimes we're so heavenly minded we're no earthly good, and sometimes we're so earthly minded we're no heavenly good. I want you to think about this clearly. This entire passage of Scripture. Notice that instead of pastures... Instead of the pastures of our heart's desire, the Lord gives the banquet of victory He has prepared. Notice that instead of those greener pastures that He made us lie down in, and the water that was quiet and still and wouldn't spook us, and we could see our enemies if necessary, hear our enemies coming, although it's dangerous, instead of giving us food and drink that we desired, what does He do? The Lord gives the banquet table of victory He has prepared. And He has set us down, not as just some illegitimate person that is coming, that knocked at our door begging for a meal. We are legitimate children. We are children of the of God. We are the children and the heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And it comes to this place, He anoints our head with oil. We are we are sitting down with Him as His people, with His sign upon our head. But Revelation nineteen six 
through verse 6 and 9 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt Him and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her, granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. I want you to think about this. We look at the pastors that are around us and we say, well, why don't, why don't I get to have some of those things? Why can't I have that what they have? Why do they seem to always have the blessings? And God tells us, no, not for you, not right now, not in this moment. You need to lie down. You need to hold back. I have better things for you. We desire the pastors because it's our heart's desire. But the thing is, is God has something greater for us. And sometimes we are so, we are so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. And this is one of the things to be reminded of. Listen, this world's not our home. The point of, 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 of life is not what we are not right here and now. The point of what we have is not right here and now. It's what we're building, what we're being a part of building. But the supper that we ought to desire is not the, the next meal we get to eat or the next thing we, the next desire that we have and how we can act upon it. Our desire ought to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-55 said, it's a, supper of, it's a supper of victory. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We're reminded in Romans 16, 20, I must tie these two together. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What I want you to understand is with Christ's victory on the cross, His burial, and His resurrection, there is a great victory that has already been won. That is why, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't matter what goes on around us. It doesn't matter what's happening. The victory's been won, and Satan's head has been crushed. The only thing that remains is what we find in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 through 27. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ we shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and as coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign, which he is reigning, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things and to subjection under his feet. Here's the thing. This very last point is that most churches right now, what they seek after is green pastures, quiet still waters. What they market is green pastures or greener pastures and better water. It's an idea of if you just come here, we can satisfy your soul. And what they do is they make a call. And this is what I even I posted this morning and I posted yesterday. Here's the thing. Most people, they're making this call out. And I don't know that they're doing it on purpose. I don't know that they understand what they're doing. But if you'll come here, you'll find everything you need. But if you're in Christ, you've already found everything you need. The purpose of gathering was never about finding everything you need. In fact, what it does 
if it's all about coming to the church to find everything you need, or it's about a call to go out and do certain things, but no one ever does it, it's a false pasture. It will never give you what God ever intended. What he's saying is the church he's saying churches are looking out like this, and it's like, I, hey, there's a greener pasture. We have everything you need, but God is saying, come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come to my banquet table. Let me anoint your head with oil. Let me send you out. Let me let you fear no longer. Let me provide all that you need. Do you know who you are in Christ? He's saying all these things, and what happens here is people are saying, Let me show you the greener pasture. Here's something good to eat. Here's something good to drink. And we spend most of our lives missing out on what God has always intended. The greener pasture is nothing compared to the banquet table of our Lord. Nothing. There might many be many people who are out in that sheepfold, in that flock, who believe that they are part of the house of God, the people of God. In reality, they might be goats. You know, goats and sheep can live side by side. They can live together. But the question we have to look at is just because we can stay in the same pasture together, just because we look good together, just because we are beneficial, it looks like there's benefits together. When it comes down to it, it comes down to the banquet of victory that we have in Christ Jesus. And there are going to be many who are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not preach in your name? Did we not cast out these evil ones from amongst you? Did we not do these great works? He's going to say, look, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. I never knew you. As a church and churches across this world, across this nation, across this community, as Christians, we shouldn't be asking, I'm looking for a good church with a great worship team. Or I'm looking for a great church with a dynamic preacher who makes me feel good about everything I do. I'm looking for a church that fits all my needs. Has a place for my kids to go so I don't have to deal with them. I don't, no, I've never heard someone actually... Well, I shouldn't say that. I've heard one person say that specifically, and I won't... N- not here. But I will say this. There are people who... They go to church because they don't want to deal with their kids. They're not used to having their kids around. So anything, that's... And the churches that offer all the bells and the whistles and all the three-ring circus to do to fill, fill the needs, or all they're doing is they're saying, look, I can give you green pastures and I can give you some great water to drink. A place to relax that's still and quiet and you have no fear of your enemies. And they're never hearing the voice of the Lord saying, lie down, walk on past. For I have a banqueting table up there. Yeah, I know, I see the enemies but I already have victory over them. Let's go up here so we can rejoice in the victory that we have. And we miss out on the whole point of Christianity, the whole call of Christ. May we not only be called to be His, may we be convicted that He is all that we need, but let's get all the way to the place of celebration because we are confident in all that He's done. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts 
where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.